happy Friday, if you want to call it that. Uh, 800-941-SEAN, toll-free telephone number. Uh, I have a lot to say about this Joe Biden, uh, Mr. Unity, taking full credit for everything Donald Trump did and did well and did right. And it just makes me mad. Now, I've been talking a lot about this book, Lucky, how Joe Biden barely won the presidency. And it's written by two mainstream media people, one from The Hill, one from NBC. And I've been fascinated with the book. By the way, it's not a pro-Trump book. They take a lot of shots at Trump. But putting that aside, remember, this vote was 42,918 votes. That's prevented Donald Trump from being reelected, which infuriates all of us knowing what we know now. Law is not listened to. No partisan observers observed anything. Uh, State constitutions ignored. State laws ignored. Ridiculous, you know, consent agreements that that benefited Democrats. It's just it's unbelievable that all this could happen. And a lot of it is now hopefully getting fixed in Georgia. I know it is. And oh, one note on Georgia. Got to tell you this. And we're going to get these guys on the program. Um, Robert Cahaley, Trafalgar, and Matt Towery, Insider Advantage, did a poll. Guess who beats in 2022 Raphael Warnock? Yep, Herschel Walker. I hope he runs. He's a rock star. Love that man. Such a good guy. Such a decent person. And although, you know, as a friend, I'd have to say, yeah, they're going to put they're going to put you through hell. But I hope he but he's he's tough and he's uh, he's he's just a great guy. He can handle anything. The guy got in the octagon. Linda, did you know, he got in the octagon. He trained MMA. Remember, we were doing push ups in the studio that day together. And he was kind of shocked that I did 100 push ups with him. We have that on video. OK, let's not put it up. Did you Maybe ever we post should it? put it back up on Hannity.com? I don't care. Put it up on Hannity.com. And he does fifteen hundred to two thousand a day. Same with sit ups. I'm like, yeah, I've seen him do those. I'm sit-ups. like, I do one hundred and fifty. I give cut me some slack here, and I and by the way, real push ups, no phony push ups. Um, all right, let me get. So we got a lot of news we got to get to. Biden's blunders last night, and see Hannity, he made it through. And I'm like, okay, let's look at the last three weeks. The fact that and and people's writing, well, you don't know that he practiced Hannity. He practiced. He had one thing on his schedule the last four days. Just one. That's it. He spent a lot of time practicing. And believe me, there's a lot of nail biting behind the scenes when he went out last night to give his 18-minute little address and take a victory lap and credit for something he had nothing to do with, which kind of infuriates me also. Uh, We've got to start now, though, in the great state of New York. Um, It might now be it. For Andrew Cuomo. By the way, ironically, you know, in light of you can't say mom and dad or Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, ask where you went on vacation. In light of Dumbo and Peter Pan on the chopping block, Dr. Seuss books. You can't buy Dr. Seuss on eBay, but you can buy Hitler's Mein Kampf and you can buy the anarchist cookbook that will teach you how to build bombs. How do they how do they justify selling that crap? And and then we got, of course, Pepe Le Pew. He's going to be canceled. Pepe, Pepe Le Pew. 
Um, it's these are unreal times. We live Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head. I can't even believe these words are flying out of my mouth that this is happening in this country. This is insanity. I be, I'm telling you, it better stop now. So Cuomo's blaming cancel culture. A seventh woman has now come forward. And uh, Cuomo today says he's not going to resign. I don't think I, I, I'm believing now his days are numbered. I didn't. Now, though, it's fascinating about this, and I'm sure they'll probably want to blame Hannity, Fox News. It's not Hannity doing this. All we're doing is we've been pointing it out. We're the ones that stayed consistent, due process, presumption of innocence, the way we do with Kavanaugh, the way we always do it. And, you know, I did make the point that when the interview was on CBS of one of the women making allegations against him, I was like, wow, she came off as extraordinarily credible. And it was also backed in real time by text messages saved to a friend. You're not going to believe what just happened to me. The shock that, that happened there, which added a lot of credibility, I thought, to the interview that she gave. So all these accusations now are up to seven. From the Washington Examiner, I, I, Cuomo is saying, I did not do what has been alleged, blaming cancel culture in a conference call with reporters, adding demands for him to resign are motivated by political animus, not factual evidence. I'm not going to resign, he said, and he was not elected by politicians, but by the people. Uh, here's his problem now, the numbers. It's now becoming a numbers organi- uh, a numbers operation. Look, Democrats nationally want him out because, to be blunt, they won't admit it publicly, but there's not one single Democrat that I know in the country that believes Joe Biden's running for a second term or even thinking he's going to make it through the first term. And if that were the case, and even if he made it through, Kamala Harris is not going to get a coronation. There will be a primary challenge, that I can tell you. And the fact that Newsom is now likely out of that race and Cuomo is going to be out of that race, Whitmer will be out of that race, all based on the same issue, COVID, draconian shutdowns, everything that they've done wrong, nursing home scandals. Now they're saying that, in fact, Whitmer could face charges in her state. Then you got Murphy in New Jersey and you got Wolf in Pennsylvania. Then you compare them to, you know, Governor Abbott, Governor DeSantis, Governor Christie Nome, Governor of, of Mississippi, and all these other great red states where I'm so stupid, I'm not living in one of them. And it's 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 now real. But he says he's not going to resign. And he made this after Congressman Jerry Nadler. Now, he was part of the I Believer caucus. It just took him a it took him seven, seven people to get to the point where he was with Kavanaugh saying he should resign. Congresswoman, the first one, I will give Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez high marks for being the first to say this is unacceptable and also one of the first saying that he needs to step down. You've got more than half of all New York lawmakers now, Democrats mostly, have called for the governor to step aside. This is a you have, you have a veto proof majority in both the Assembly and the State Senate in New York. Republicans have no power in the state of New York, none whatsoever. You have accounts now after two accounts of actual sexual assault, four accounts of sexual harassment. The attorney general now investigating, finding the governor's administration hid the nursing home data. And what I sense here is, is that Democrats and the media and national Democrats that want them out of the presidential race, they, they've had it. 
My guess is, is that they probably weren't treated well in all the years he's been governor, but it's just a guess on my part. Uh, I'm looking at, this is not a conservative publication, New York Magazine. It's got an angry picture of Andrew Cuomo, kind of like what the New York Times Magazine did, did to me. Um, uh, it says the cruelty and the casualties inside Andrew Cuomo's toxic workplace. Oof. The National Organization of Women, the NOW group, has now called for Cuomo to resign. Wow. Now that's big. Biden administration, by the way, not a word yet from Kamala. Nothing from Kamala. The leader of the I Believer Caucus, not a word. You got a lot of Democrats. Joe Biden. Now, look, remember, Lucy Flores, Tara Reid, they made allegations against Joe. Don't think that Joe is is going to get a full pass here either, although Democrats are going to do everything they can to protect Joe. But we'll see. There might, I'm watching that very closely. Anyway, they, um, they have a National Organization for Women established in 1966. They have called on Cuomo to resign. He said he must resign. He's unfit to serve as the leader of his state for another day. He should resign. New York now President Sonia Osorio uh, told the New York Post, many people were willing to let the investigation play out, but the latest allegation is a bridge too far. And by the way, Cuomo said Sunday he will not resign pending the New York Attorney General uh, Letita, uh, Letita, how do you say her name? Letita, Letitia, sorry, thank you. Uh, Letitia James, she seems tough to me. She seems like she's, she, she's tough. Anyway, so you have a seventh accuser now speaking out, saying his hands have been all over her body. She writes, Andrew Cuomo's hands have been on my body, on my arms, my shoulders, the small of my back, my waist, uh, often enough by late 2014 that I didn't want to go to the holiday party he was hosting for the Albany Press Corps at the executive mansion. I was 25 years old, working as a state house reporter for what is now Politico, New York. I had been to the Capitol, been on the Capitol beat a couple of years by then, but I was still among the youngest reporters in the press corps, and one of the few women in the group whose job it was to report on the governor's every move. Everyone else was going, and some had been covering state government for decades. I thought if I skipped the event, I might miss out on some intangible opportunity to cement myself as part of that community. I ignored my gut instincts and went anyway, walking over from the New York uh, State Capitol building with several colleagues. Shortly after I arrived, news uh, broke on my beat and I had to return to the Capitol. I decided to thank the governor for inviting me and more importantly, to offer best wishes for his father's recovery. It's former governor since passed away, Mario Cuomo. He was dying at the time. I walked up to the governor in the middle of a conversation with another reporter and waited for a moment that I can interject. He took my hand as if to shake it, then refused to let it go. Put his arm around my back, his hand on my waist, held me firmly in place while indicating to a photographer he wanted us to pose for a picture. My job was to analyze and scrutinize him. I didn't want a photo of him with his hands on my body and a smile on my face, but I made a reflexive assessment that most women and marginalized people would know instinctively the calculation about risk and power and self-preservation. I knew it would be far easier to smile for a brief moment than take a, a, it takes to snap a picture than to challenge one of the most powerful men in the country. And then she said, my calculation was a bit off. 
I was wrong to believe this experience would last for just a moment because his grip on me, I practically squirmed to get away from him. The governor turned my body to face a different direction for another picture, wouldn't let go of my hand. Then he turned to me with a mischievous smile in front of all my colleagues and said, I'm sorry, am I making you uncomfortable? I thought we were going steady. I stood there in stunned silence, shocked, humiliated. But of course, that was the point. I never thought the governor wanted to have sex with me. It wasn't about sex, she writes. It was about power. He wanted me to know I was powerless and I was small and weak and I didn't deserve what relative power I had, a platform to hold him accountable for his words and his actions. He wanted me to know that he could take my dignity away at any moment with an inappropriate comment or hand on my wrist. And Cuomo denies it. And it goes on from there. And there's more. A lot more. Now, there's other stuff happening here, too. 59 state New York state Democrats calling for him to resign. The entire state Senate GOP conference called for his resignation. New York's Democratic-led assembly authorized through their assembly speaker the Judiciary Committee to begin an impeachment investigation. More recent allegations referred to Albany Police Department. Comrade de Blasio wants him to resign immediately. Then Nadler, Ocasio-Cortez, new reporting that another, I mean, is this, this is now hitting critical mass. And I'm kind of surprised. But, them, but I'm not, and I, I think I figured out why. National Democrats want him out. New York State Democrats feel like they've been treated like crap for years. That's my take. So the only way to characterize this is the Cuomo's governorship is literally hanging by a thread. And I would even argue Newsom's too. There's going to be a recall election out in California and Governor Whitmer in big trouble also. Um, As now police are now investigating in Albany, the New York attorney general has now established a hotline for Cuomo's sexual assault victims Uh, I mentioned AOC Nadler want Cuomo to resign. The impeachment effort has now hit a critical mass as uh, New York won and New York states. And this is pretty interesting here. If the assembly votes to impeach Cuomo, in other words, that would be the equivalent of the House of Representatives in Washington. Cuomo would be required to temporarily step down until the Senate trials over. Now, that's a big deal. According to New York One, New York State rules for impeachment require Cuomo to step down once the case goes on trial. Only if Cuomo is acquitted does he get to return to the office. The New York State Assembly has 150 members. That would mean they need a 76-vote majority to impeach Andrew Cuomo. Now, there are currently 78 members of the assembly on record supporting his impeachment. New York One points out, yeah, they only require 76. That's two more now, right now, that would vote to impeach him. If approved in the assembly, and now the assembly leader, Democrat, has given the okay for this to be, to this to start moving forward, then if that was, then they would have the Senate be sent over there, overseen, and we have the Senate majority leader, probably the most powerful elected Democrat in the state. Well, maybe the AG. Um, 
And she has said the same thing. The senators themselves would be the jurors. Two-thirds of the 63-member state Senate would be required to convict and remove. But a governor under impeachment in New York must relinquish power temporarily to the lieutenant governor who becomes acting governor during the trial. Wow. Getting interesting. Quick break. Right back. All right. 25 till the top of the hour. 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of this extravaganza? Cuomo now blaming cancel culture. Okay. That's that's a stretch. Well, what about in the case of Eric Schneiderman? Demand right away. Got to resign. What about his what, what he did with Kavanaugh? You see, I mean, look. The reason, and how do I say this and not sound like an arrogant jerk? Um, We take pride in getting things right. I've explained many times on this program the, the lesson that I learned as a local host in Atlanta and the Richard Jewell and the Olympic Park bombing and how I didn't rush to judgment. Everybody else did. And this poor guy happened to be listening to me, unbeknownst to me, and later I find out, he says, you're the only one that gave me, that was fair to me. Because he fits the profile of a lone bomber. He lives with his mother. So what? He's saving money. What's the big deal? Doesn't mean anything. And, you know, I listen, I, I think they killed the guy as a result of it. But it taught me a lesson. There's a reason that The mob, and they are a mob, it's a mob mentality in the media, got Russia, Russia, Russia wrong. They allowed their political prejudice, bias, radical socialist agenda to get in the way of any fair reporting, and they were wrong on everything. And they peddled lies and conspiracy theories to you, the American people, for for three, three long years and dragged the country through hell in the process. You know, think of hands up, don't shoot. That never happened in Ferguson. And how did how did we get it right and they got it wrong? Because I actually did my own digging. And I had sources, sources, which I'll never reveal, that were telling me, Hannity, be careful because there are this many eyewitnesses, happen to be African-American, that are already on record confirming what Officer Darren Wilson is claiming. Seeing Michael Brown reach into the car, that's when the first shot went off. Then, of course, nobody wanted to talk about the intimidation and theft of him and another guy to the poor convenience store operator guy. Pushed him up against the rack, remember, if you recall. And we didn't rush to judge. We were right. They were all wrong. We were right on the Duke lacrosse case. How did I know? Because I actually got in my car, called the families met with a couple of the families and met with a couple of the kids. And I, I began to piece the story together on my own. And what eventually happened in that case, while the the liberal professors at Duke were rushing to judgment and taking out ads in newspapers, basically proclaiming these kids are guilty. Well, I was getting in. They were they were already in the process of having to prove their they had to prove their innocence in that case. And they did. Timestamp video pictures, guys taking out money from a bank, guys returning to their dorm room within the time frame where supposedly they were involved in this rape. 
We were right. The mob got it wrong. Ferguson, I had sources there, too. Uh, I'm sorry, but Baltimore, Maryland, I had sources there, too, with the Freddie Gray case. Cambridge Police, we had sources. And so it's not, these are not words. I, I, I owe it to you if I'm going to do my job to dig deeper and not to rush to judgment. Believe in due process. Some of you got frustrated with me. I, I've had people throwing information at me post-election 2020 that I was skeptical of, and I'd say, show me. And they couldn't do it. And I'm like, okay, that, that, that's not enough. You got to give me more. You got to show me. And that's hence my, what we focused on is what we knew. We knew that the statutory language in every state said partisan observers have a right to observe. It didn't happen. We, you know, I thought we, we praised whistleblowers in this country. Well, they didn't want to hear from one person that signed an affidavit under penalty of perjury in the post-election analysis. No, but I think we're like one of the few shows, if any others did, I don't know, that actually interviewed people that signed the affidavits, legal affidavit, under the threat of perjury. You know, then we looked at the Pennsylvania State Constitution. Then we looked at the Georgia Consent Agreement, which gave dual signature verification standards, one for mail-in balloting, another for in-person voting. Pennsylvania Constitution clearly prohibited the state legislature from passing, what was it called, Bill Number 70, HB 70, if I remember correctly. They can't do it. There's a process to change the Constitution and make an amendment, but it's a lot more difficult than just passing a law because you need more than 50%. And then, of course, we, we went over the laws in Wisconsin and Michigan, and, and we pointed out where things, laws were not followed, constitutions were not followed. Now, they're fixing it in Georgia. I know that for a fact. The state legislature there is acting. Thank goodness. They need to. Pennsylvania has begun the process. Arizona has begun the process. It needs to happen in Wisconsin and Michigan, too. And any other state that might have issues. We need integrity, confidence, and certainly H.R. 1 wouldn't be a part of it anyway. So we have a seventh accuser now speaking out against Cuomo. We stayed consistent. We didn't rush to judgment. We provided due process, presumption of innocence in the Kavanaugh case. Even in the Avenatti case, allegations were made by a girlfriend at the time. I said, I'm not rushing to judgment. I'm not even here, although I can say after watching this young woman give this interview to CBS, wow, backed up by real-time text messages was pretty powerful. This piece in New York, New Yorker today, is pretty powerful, too. The So there is definitely Cuomo's governorship now hanging by a thread. Now you have more, more assembly members, the equivalent of the House of Representatives, just to help people out that don't follow this every day like I do. No, I think you should. Can be miserable at times. Anyway, the New York Attorney General has established a hotline for sexual assault victims of Cuomo. You got AOC and Nadler want them to resign. Comrade de Blasio, it's not, they've been at each other's throats the whole time. That doesn't surprise me. But it's now hit critical mass. Uh, 
Even the Washington Examiner has picked up on the story that we told you about. We have the nursing home death scandal. And then we told you about 552 developmentally disabled individuals that died from COVID. And that executive action was never rescinded. It's unbelievable. It was the same thing as the nursing homes. Now other people are picking up on that. We've been ahead of the curve on that one, too. Governor Cuomo's aides out there trying to discredit all these accusers. Michael Goodwin, we have him on this program. He's a great writer. He laid out 10 questions that Cuomo needs to answer. And, you know, pretty simple. If you or anyone in your office have have you received a subpoena, why won't you release your contract with Crown Publishing? Because remember, he knew in June that there were 9,000 deaths. That's when they started covering up the nursing home scandal and and taking the numbers out from their own health department. A former, they talk about one question about Lindsay Boylan. She makes these allegations. Did you do it? Do you have a cigar box given to you by Bill Clinton? Oh, boy, that's rough. Michael Goodwin, that is rough. Boylan released an email from your assistant saying that Boylan reminded you of Lisa Shields, your former girlfriend. Did you ever call Boylan Lisa in front of your colleagues? Did you ask a former New York State employee, Charlotte Bennett, that's the one that gave the interview on CBS, if she ever had sex with older men? Did you tell Bennett you were open to having a relationship with women above the age of 22? And when and how did you first learn that Bennett had reported your behavior to people in your administration? And then, you know, a couple more. Anyway, so it is an now an open criminal investigation with now seven accusers. This is now a big deal, and it's hit critical mass. Now, what's Senator Schumer going to do? Where's Kirsten Gillibrand? She was part of the I Believer caucus. Now, Senator Schumer went as far as saying that the allegations are nauseating, but that's as far as he's going. He was an I Believer, too. So... You just see the different treatments. And then that's the sad part of it, because these are these are serious issues. They bust it was the one time Republicans actually got things right. They actually handled what happened in the Kavanaugh case as tough as that was. They took it with the seriousness it deserved, went through a process. Some people made allegations and they were totally debunked. And then the vote took place. On the illegal immigration front, with all the talk about Joe Biden, now this really pissed me off last night. I don't, probably did you too. You know, Joe Biden got three vaccines thanks to President Trump and Operation Warp Speed. He didn't once, Mr. Unity, President Unity, give a tip of the hat to President Trump. There were over 36 million doses distributed already before Joe Biden ever got into office. He got three he got three separate vaccines because of the president. And we played last night how all the Democrats had said this is pie in the sky, wishful thinking, we'll never get a vaccine in less than a year. But Operation Warp Speed was fascinating because what Donald Trump was saying to these companies, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Johnson and Johnson and Pfizer was go do your work, work your asses off. But if you lose money, we'll back you up. That, 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 that freed up these companies to just 
unload their very, very best in the middle of the worst pandemic since 1917 and 18. And it worked. Just like Donald Trump saved New York and New Jersey and all these other places. It gets no credit for it. You know, meanwhile, Cuomo's ignoring the stupid order that he gave. Won't rescind it because he's too busy writing a book on how great he is as a leader. Joe Biden had nothing to do with the vaccine. He had nothing to do with Mars Rover either. Taking credit for somebody else's work last night, really? You know, and the idea, well, see, Hannity, I I told you this would happen because I predicted the day before. I said he's going to get through his speech. He's been practicing probably all week. He'll get through a State of the Union address, practicing that too. Okay, so is that the lowest bar possible that a a president can give an 18-minute speech without making a total fool of himself like the last three weeks? I won't play it now, but we've been playing for you. We, we've seen, we see what we see. He's struggling cognitively. You know, why? 51 days, no press conference. They're trying to get him out now more. They're trying, okay, Joe, we need you to just step up a little bit today. See how this works out in the long term. And it's not that hard, frankly, to read a teleprompter. You'd think it's, you know, a big, heavy lift. It's not. Um... You know, and there's the media mob. How do they treat Donald Trump and all this? Anyway, at the border, the COVID rate among illegal immigrants is up 10 times higher than the U.S. average. This was in the Washington Times today. 10 times higher. I don't see, you see overcrowding, no social distancing, and very few masks. I told you about Harlingen, Texas, near Brownsville. Homeless shelter, families being dropped off. Reported... I have 25% positivity rate for COVID-19. That's more than seven times the current positivity rate for the U.S. public, according to John Hopkins University's tracker. That is a unmitigated disaster. And then they're just shipping people out into all 50 states. Great. Biden's administration is speeding up the process to distribute illegal migrant children throughout the rest of the country, the Washington Times points out. Over 100,000 people in a month have crossed this border. 30,000 kids on their own in one month entering the U.S. We still can't get a look at the cargo shipping containers to see what's going on inside. The COVID infection rate for Biden's illegal immigrants has doubled in a week. Even Chucky Schumer, although he's blaming Donald Trump, he inherited Donald Trump's policies. But he also said, Joe, better do better. You got to do better. You think? How about bringing back, uh, ending catch and release? How about building the rest of the wall? How about no promise of amnesty? The incentive that has created this crisis. Don't come now, but you can come, but not this second. We don't have a crisis at the border. Mayorkas and Joe saying the same thing. Biden administration overruled the general that wanted to withdraw the National Guard from D.C. That was something that happened, too. But it's it's a real it's a real challenge now. On top of this, you got now they're a full fledged effort to take away your Second Amendment rights and put major restrictions on the Second Amendment. The more we find out about this bailout bill, the worse it gets. We're, by the way, now they're for, now they're pushing a bill to force Americans to fund overseas abortion. They even sneak 60 billion in new taxes in the so-called relief package. 
to Sean Hannity Show. Thanks for being with us. Toll free. Our number is 800-941-SEAN. You want to be a part of the program. Still watching, waiting, monitoring the situation in Albany, New York today. It's uh, really, really getting interesting. This is Democrats doing this. Um, I've been talking about this book. Um, I'm almost finished reading it. It's called Lucky. Now, it's not a complimentary book for towards Donald Trump in any way, shape, manner, or form. But that's not what has interested me the most in this book is because you don't get many people in the mainstream media that even have any res- any semblance to being reporters or or journalists or down the middle or even trying to hear or give both sides of things. At least I don't think so. And what's interesting about this, this is the book that revealed that, in fact, Joe Biden, the Democrats, had this keep your crazy uncle in the basement strategy. Now, I've been pointing out it was funny because I predicted the day before Biden's speech, I said he's going to get through a speech. He's been practicing a whole week. So there's this new book out. It's called Lucky. It's written by senior political reporter for NBC News, Jonathan Allen. Amy Parnes is a senior correspondent at The Hill. Um, Let me just play Joe the last three weeks, just the last three weeks. Forget about the campaign. Forget about, oh, endowed by, oh, you know, the, the thing, the thing, God, the creator of everything. And this is just the last three weeks. Listen. I want to thank the, the, the uh, former general. I keep calling him general. But my my uh, the guy who runs that outfit over there. The vast majority of economists left, right and center from Wall Street to the to the private private uh, 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 economic uh, uh, polling initiatives. Now, am I supposed to speak or is Swathi going to say something? Representatives uh, Shirley Jackson Lee, Al Green, Sylvia Garcia, Lizzie Finelli, uh, uh, excuse me, Finell, and uh, what am I doing here? That um, over 500, I think it's, I have a card, I carry a card with me every day with the total number of folks who have been affected by. All right, joining us now, the authors of this uh, new book. I think it's going to be a bestseller. Maybe it is already. I just haven't heard. Jonathan Allen and Amy Parnes, did you guys uh, do well with the New York Times? We're not. The New York Times is not in love with us at the moment. Uh, I I know you've written, uh, I think, at least four bestsellers. I have four number one books. Yes, sir, I did. But I hate writing books. You can keep it. It's the worst thing in the world. I don't know how you do it. During a pandemic, no less. <laughs> yeah, but by the way, that's a good point, Amy. Good point. You know, I, I'm not kidding when I say I was fascinated by your book because when you, you know, I didn't like Anita Dunn's comments, which is, oh, COVID's the best thing that happened to Joe Biden. There's probably truth in that statement, and I believe you're both telling the truth by reporting it and probably have gotten criticism. Let me let me start by asking a, a, a distant question from what the topic is, and that is, has the mainstream media covered your book or have they been ignoring you? Well, it's tough because, as you mentioned, John and I are straight down the middle. And we, you know, we did this on Shattered, our our last book, and we are doing it again now. We're providing an honest take on what happened during this election. 
Um, it's it's tough medicine. It's it's a lot of it's medicine for Democrats to swallow, and I think that a lot of people don't want to think about it. Um, they they kind of feel like they squeaked by in this election, but there are lessons to be learned from what happened here, and it was very very close, and that's what we talk about in this book. Well, the the full title of the book is "Lucky How Joe Biden Barely Won the Presidency." Now, let me be fair and balanced, if you will, to use a phrase. And this is not exactly complimentary of the Donald Trump campaign or Donald Trump, is it, Jonathan? No, it's a, no. I mean, it's not a hagiography of anyone. And I'm sure there are people who are going to read this who are Donald Trump fans, and there are going to be lines they don't like. But what they're going to love is the inside reporting on what happened inside uh, Joe Biden's campaign, some of the other Democratic campaigns, and some of the great stories that we have about what happened inside the Trump campaign that are believable because they're true. You know, you read so much stuff out there about Donald Trump. You guys Trump. should have Trump. called me. Big mistake, not not call, reaching out to Hannity. I could have told you stories, but I wouldn't tell you. I don't talk to the media anymore. <laughs> but it's it's lucky <laughs> how Joe smart, Biden Trump. barely barely won the presidency. Now, in this book, you talk about the Democrats running the keep your crazy uncle in the basement strategy. COVID gives them some, I don't know, um, some explanation or reasonable explanation so they can get away with it. I would argue, and and Amy, I'll ask you first, that they didn't have any other choice because I really do believe, and it's sad to say, that Joe has, he is, he looks very weak to me. He looks very frail to me, and he looks like he's struggling cognitively, and I can play now an hour's worth of tape that would back up my claim. Nobody else well, seems to want to talk about it. They were petrified at the time, um, and that's the truth. Like, John and I have both talked to lots of people inside the campaign who were, knew that Joe Biden was prone to gaffes and missteps, and at one point they were considering tweaking his schedule because they thought they didn't want him to speak late in the evening where he was making more and more mistakes. And so you talked about Anita Dunn's comment earlier. That's something that did happen. She talked to an associate about it. That's something, you know, she said that COVID is the best thing that ever happened to him. That's something that they were all sort of saying behind the scenes because he was a, he could avoid these missteps by being at home. And, you know, I, I look at this. So if the strategy is so, and I would add a couple of other pieces to this puzzle. Jonathan, they never, he never really got the tough questioning. Whenever there was a big moment in the campaign where he'd have to perform outside of the basement, am I being accurate in saying he'd usually disappear for five days or six days as they rested him, as they adjusted his schedule and and maybe perhaps other things that we were kept in the dark about? For several months, uh, there was no availability of Biden for uh, most reporters. It was, he was 89 days, but who's counting? Yeah, exactly. So uh, he disappears from the stage uh, during the middle of the pandemic. Um, And as Amy was saying, it's not just Anita Dunn who said this to an associate. We talked to any number of uh, people inside the Biden campaign and allies of his and even one, you know, close personal friend. And and they they were all saying COVID helped Biden. I mean, it's not something they want to admit. It's not something politically that's advantageous for them to say. But... uh, but I don't think I don't know anybody uh, who watched this election that thinks that COVID was helpful to President Trump, who was riding a pretty pretty hot economy before COVID hit, and obviously didn't have a pandemic to deal with. Um, you know, people will talk about uh, how he handled it at various points, but um, he was in, he was in pretty decent shape uh, before it hit, and I think 
both sides, because I talk, we talked to people inside both campaigns, believe that uh, COVID really hurt President Trump and helped Biden. I don't think either one of you are going to like this next question. And I'll even give you an out. You don't have to answer if you don't want. But I want you to be honest if you can. Sure. Do you believe that I am correct in my observation? It's not a medical diagnosis I'm giving here. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on radio, and I certainly don't play one on TV. Amy, do you see Joe Biden 2016, 2012, and Joe Biden today? Do you think he looks weaker, much weaker, frail? And do you see that he's struggling cognitively? He's definitely slowed down, but I think that's why you saw concern among Democrats about whether he could win this race. I mean, even his former partner, President Obama, calls aides into his office at the start of the campaign and is worried that he's not only going to embarrass himself on the campaign trail, but he will tarnish the Obama brand. And that's something we get into in the book. You know, there's we have kind of Obama lingering in the background and watching, and of course, he doesn't want to tip the scales, but I think he was worried that this was going to happen. Um, and when he's talking about Biden, uh, we have a scene in the book where he is talking to a bunch of very... Um, um, a, a group of, of black donors, and he is essentially talking up Elizabeth Warren, and he is kind of, you know, jabbing at Mayor Pete a little bit, and he's not really mentioning any other candidate, and he completely forgets to talk about Joe Biden and has to be reminded by a donor in the room, you forgot to mention Biden, what's up with that? And it was kind of a very interesting window into his thinking at the time. He was very private, obviously, didn't want to talk about where he was and where what he was thinking about the race. But I think this definitely was some insight into the fact that he didn't think the, that his former partner could go all the way and, and beat Donald Trump. Same question, Jonathan Allen. Yeah, I don't know anyone who's watched Joe Biden over time who thinks that he is currently the same uh, same guy he was in 2008 or 2012. You know, pick your pick your year of the past, the, the vintage of Joe Biden over the course of 50 years. Um, you know, I think one of the things that uh, the being in his basement allowed him to do was uh, be a little more patient and very careful with his words. And, and the reason uh, some of the folks close to him think, that, think it helped him is because it allowed him to be extremely scripted. He didn't have those moments. You know, Donald Trump is answering questions every single day at the White House podium. He's answering them as he uh, gets into Marine One uh, on a reasonably frequent basis. Um, and Biden didn't have to expose himself to those kinds of things. And that meant that he wasn't likely to make gaffes or even worse, what Biden often does is reveals what he's thinking that isn't politically appropriate um, and and then sort of gets swept under the rug as a gaff. Yeah, what the hell am, what the, what the hell am I doing here? I, I wake up every morning, I turn to Jill and say, where are we? A little scary. You know, it's interesting because you did bring up in the book the allegations by Tara Reid, but there were other allegations, for example, with Lucy Flores, Um now that we see what's happening with Andrew Cuomo, I, I'm, I'm not sure Cuomo now survives. I didn't believe that a week ago. I thought he'd probably squeak through. I'm not so sure today. But, Amy, does this now create a possibility that this could become uh, a big issue for Joe? Um, I, I don't think that it will be because it wasn't during the campaign, but who knows? I could be wrong. I mean, what's interesting is we talk about Lucy Flores in the book, and we talk mm-hmm. about how he felt like he didn't want to apologize, that there was 
no apology necessary, which I think a lot of women might have found insulting. But, um, you know, this is sort of him. Everyone thinks he's affable and likable, and he is um, to some extent, obviously. But I think, you know, it was insulting to a lot of women um, who felt like he was inappropriate at the time. And the fact that he didn't need to apologize is sort of where Andrew Cuomo finds himself right now, too. Yeah, where's the I believe the I believer caucus is awfully silent for the most part. They've been silent. Now they're beginning to slowly come around. Go ahead, Jonathan. I was just going to say the person who has uh, real exposure right now is Chuck Schumer because he's watching Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and all the liberals in New York uh, come out and uh, and say that Cuomo should resign or should be impeached, and uh, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Schumer who wants to keep his Senate seat. Who doesn't want to get primaried? To put a lot of pressure on him to do the same or potentially uh, face a, a stronger push from the left against him. You think he really see, I, I, I believe that that Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the real speaker of the House and that Nancy Pelosi's speaker in name only and that whatever the squad says, she's going to have to go along with knowing that she could be out the next day. Otherwise, um, do you really believe Schumer has the same fear of, say, a, a a primary by the congresswoman? I think he does. I think he has a fear of a primary by her or by somebody like her uh, within New York. You know, the, the politics of the Democratic Party in New York are extremely fractious right now. And with Cuomo in so much trouble, uh, everybody's running for cover. Pretty interesting. Let me go back to this issue of Obama. And uh, I, you rightly say in the book that he wanted to support Beto O'Rourke for president. And his concerns for Biden ran deeper than defeat, that he worried that Biden would embarrass himself. Now, I have sources that, believe it or not, are close to Biden. And they're telling me things are much worse than what is known publicly. I got to believe that you probably talk to people that are close to Biden that gave you insight that probably would shock the American people. Am I wrong, Amy? No, I mean, I think... People talk to us about, you know, the fact that he could get himself into trouble by these, by his verbal gaffes and blunders and missteps and how he speaks his mind. And and I'm, goes, I'm looking for a little bit deeper probing than that. Yeah, I mean, Sean, if we could, if, Sean, if we could put it this way, nobody was closer to Joe Biden for eight years than Barack Obama. And Barack Obama's main concern was not that Joe Biden was going to lose, though he thought Biden would lose. His main concern was that Joe Biden would embarrass himself on the campaign trail, and he went to talk to Biden's aides before the campaign and said, please do not let him embarrass himself on the campaign trail. Don't let him tarnish his legacy, and by, by extension, that meant the Obama legacy. I mean, people could judge what they want from that, but uh, Biden, Obama's concern that Biden was going to fall flat on his face and tarnish his legacy and be embarrassing on the campaign trail suggests that Obama, who spent so much time with Biden, did not think Biden had, had as much on his fastball as he used to. Okay, so Biden wins. Do you both believe that the pressures of that office, I happen to believe that the presidency is the hardest job in the world. There's a reason why people go in to that job and four, eight years later, you can see the before and after pictures and the aging is often dramatic. Do you both believe with the pressures of that office that Joe Biden will be able to fulfill his four-year term? Amy? Um, I mean, this sounds like a cop-out, but it remains to be seen. You know, I think 
his approvals so far are, are okay. Um, I think that if he doesn't do what he needs to get done in terms of vaccinations, in terms of other things, I think um, yeah, it'll be well, I'm asking time. a different question, though. My sure. question is, Does he will he have the strength, the stamina, mental acuity, alertness to at, at, when you factor in the pressures of that job that are uniquely, you know, the hardest of, I don't think anybody else can imagine. I don't care how big a company you run. There's no job with more pressure. You've got the world, the free world on your shoulders here. That's a lot of pressure. I get that. And it's, it's probably why a lot of people thought that he couldn't win. And, you know, I think I mentioned to you before that Hillary Clinton and John Kerry thought that he couldn't win and, and, and wanted to enter the race. And we have that in the book, but yeah, it is a really um, high pressured job. Um, and it's, it'll be interesting to see what he can do. I mean, so far, I think that he's done okay, but it's been, it's going to be a long trying four years for him for sure. One event a day, not exactly the, the schedule of Donald Trump. Do you believe in any way, Jonathan Allen, that there are Democrats that know what I am describing, that is that he's struggling cognitively and are cover, covering for him and not being honest with the American people uh, and that they covered for him during this campaign? Do you believe that's a possibility? I believe Democrats were not straightforward about uh, what they thought about his abilities on the campaign trail um, in the general. By the way, you guys know you're never going to be invited to another media party your whole life, right? You know, you know you're going to be in exile like Hannity, like me. I don't do it for the cocktail party, Sean. But what I want to say is, you know, I think there are people that withheld what their, what their thoughts were. But I think I do also think that, that that's not necessarily, um, you know, use your word. But like, I, I don't necessarily think that's cognitive. But I, but I think it, it at least borders on it. John Kerry was out there campaigning for Joe Biden in Iowa, watching him on the stump every day, was advising his uh, Biden's advisors to let Biden uh, have more. Uh, more events where he spoke less because he thought Biden sucked, for lack of a better term, on the campaign trail. I hope I can say that on your on your show. Yeah, you can I, say whatever you want on this show. We're, we we actually are not part of the cancel culture. I don't call for any boycotts or anybody to be fired. You'd be very happy to know. I'm not a I'm not a part of that uh, suppression of freedom of speech. Um, no, I appreciate your honesty, Amy. You wanted to add something? No, I just I wanted to say you know I think what's what's good and real about this book is you know. We're not here to make friends or enemies. We're here to, as journalists, old-school journalists, we're here to go right down the middle and tell the truth about both campaigns. And I feel like that's why this book is a must-read for people in both parties. Well, you know I'm very critical. I call it the media mob. I I said in 2007, Amy, that journalism in America is dead. Uh, With all due respect, the fact that uh, conspiracy theories on a Russia hoax were spread throughout the media... Uh, for three straight years, and I have an inspector general's report that absolutely um, verified my reporting was correct. And there's only a few of us that took the other side of that issue. I think it's an embarrassment to every major news organization in this country, and it's evidence that they are abusively biased. Am I wrong there? Working for other news organizations, there's no way that we could (laughs) agree with you there. Sean, uh, but but in terms of there's like, no way you could agree with me, but you'll tell me privately if it's off the record something. <laughs> no, no. Listen, no, I, I l- listen here's the reality: Trump Russia collusion never occurred. It never happened. 
We now know that Hillary Clinton, there was Russian interference. She paid for a dirty Russian disinformation dossier. And by the way, both of you stop me at any point when any fact that I'm giving out here you think is wrong. We know that that dirty dossier was put together by Christopher Steele. We know that Christopher Steele got the money through Hillary Clinton and the DNC, funneled through Perkins Coie, a law firm, hiring Fusion GPS, paying Christopher Steele to do it. Christopher Steele was on record with the FBI in January of 2017, admitting that he did it to help Hillary to distract from her email server scandal. We know that the subsource for the dirty dossier, we know for a fact now, too, that the subsource said none of that was ever meant to be used. It was all bar talk. Then we know that it says verified on the top of a FISA application, and yet they couldn't verify the dirty dossier, which, according to Andrew McCabe, Sally Yates, and and now even Jim Comey and Rod Rosenstein admit, knowing what they know now, they wouldn't have signed those FISA applications. But it was the bulk of information, according to McCabe and Yates, of the dossier that allowed them to secure the warrant that they had first been denied. And then so we spied on a presidential candidate using false information from the other candidate from Russia that she paid for. And then we spied on a transition team. And then we spied on a president in the United States. And we also simultaneously destroyed the civil liberties of one guy by the name of Carter Page. Anything that I'm saying here wrong, guys? Um, did you read our last book, Saturn? <laughs> I did not, actually. I don't remember. Oh, well, it was it was inside. We called it inside Hillary Clinton's doomed campaign. And we get into that election as well. <laughs> is there anything that I said to you that you guys think is wrong? I'm not aware of any factual error in what you just said. And the media for three years in this country, and I'm going to let you guys off the hook. You know what? Because you're already going to get killed for just showing up on my show. So, but I will tell you, the media for three years knowingly lied to the American people. How can we say, how do they claim to be journalists when they got it wrong? Now, if they would just admit the simple truth, they got it wrong, say, we're going to do better, and uh, we got caught up in the moment, that's never going to happen. And that's sad for the country, in my opinion. And yet the effort to cancel opinions always seem to be against conservatives. Have both of you noticed that? On top of Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head and Pepe Le Pew and Dumbo and Peter Pan and Dr. Seuss. You know, what they really, my whole career, people have paid money to, to hope that they can get me canceled. Boycott, get me canceled. You know, feign it's outrage. It's not working, Sean. What do you mean I'm not working? It, it's no, hard it's work. not working. Try, no, no, no. Trying to get you canceled <laughs> is not working. <laughs> hey, listen. I, I think this is the best listened to radio show uh, in America, if I'm not wrong. Well, thanks to this great audience. Yes, I'm very blessed. Guys, I'm serious when I say this. I think it was gutsy of you guys to write the book. I didn't like the parts about Trump, but that's fine. Um, I wasn't as interested, although it was interesting to hear what some people around the president had to say. But I think you guys have touched on something. There is a lane that's open in media. I'm just going to give you humble advice. If you guys stick to what journalism should be, in my humble opinion, like you've done in this book, I think the American people will gravitate towards it in ways you wouldn't even imagine. In spite of not being invited to those cocktail parties that you mentioned, Jonathan. By the way, you want to know something cool? 25 <laughs> yeah, years please. at Fox 
How many Washington correspondence dinners do you think I've ever attended? I'm going to go with zero. Amy? I, I would agree with my co-author. You guys win. Uh, <laughs> we're going to put a link to your book up on Hannity.com, and thank you both for sharing time with us and sharing your insights and work. Thank you. Thanks so much, Sean. Thank you, Sean. 800-941-SEAN is our number. You want to be a part of the program. Uh, let's say hi to Alex. He is in the socialist utopia of New York. Alex, how are you? Hello, Sean. Thanks so much for taking my call. So I was very disturbed when I heard the Democratic politicians are asking Governor Cuomo to resign because of the accusations made against him of assaulting and harassing women, because the bigger issue is the nursing home scandal. That resulted in the deaths of thousands of innocent people. But I was also surprised that the Democratic establishment wasn't covering up for Governor Cuomo like they usually would do for a fellow Democrat. So I want to share with you, I think what's going on here is that the Democratic Party is so embarrassed about the nursing home scandal because they've been congratulating and applauding Governor Cuomo for how, how he's been conducting himself throughout this epidemic. And they know that sooner or later, there's going to be more information coming out about the nursing home scandal, and they're going to have to impeach him for how he's been conducting himself throughout this epidemic and for how corrupt they've been. So they want him out of office now, so that when the information comes out, they can just shove it under the table. They won't have to take action because of it, since he'll be out of office already, and that way they can get away of the shame. And they deserve the shame because... They've been applauding him and congratulating him even during the summer when everybody knew that something was wrong with those numbers. Everybody knew that he was somewhat lying about the nursing home, the deaths in the nursing home. You see, I, I take this position. I think Democrats hate Cuomo. This is not happening because of talk radio, Fox News, conservatives. The only reason we are at this point is because of the Democrats in Albany, in New York, and nationally that don't want him to run for president. That's the only reason. I, I don't believe it's rooted in, in the principles of, oh, my gosh, he knew in June that his March 26th uh, executive order uh, was was becoming an unmitigated disaster, and we had 9,000 dead people in nursing homes. I don't think that's what, what is motivating them. I, I Maybe I'm just cynical. I've been doing this too long. I think what's motivating them is he's been a bully to fellow Democrats and the media. And I think number two is national Democrats want him out because they're assuming 2024 is going to be an open, open race for the presidency for Democrats. That's my guess. Think any chance I'm right? Well, I think there's no real unity in the Democratic Party. They, they both, every man in the establishment doesn't like each other. They just cover up for each other because they're afraid of each other because they all have bad information on the other one and they're just covering up for each other. And even, even if there's some truth, listen, there's some truth to all that. And there's probably going to be retribution payback by Cuomo and his supporters for those that they, you know, like would those that went against him that they have their own dirt on albany is a it's worse than the washington sewer and swamp it's much worse as you know you live in new york all right from the state of new york to the the socialist utopia of new york to the land of the free and home of the brave the great state of florida uh let us say hi to daniela is down there daniela how are you glad you called hi hi son it's Oh, my God, it's such an honor to talk to you. I always try to call, 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 call like crazy, and I never get through. Finally through, and I'm so happy. Thank you. I'm, I'm so, so glad you called. I'm so glad. You're amazing. <laughs> um, I just wanted to call and say um, that the biggest the biggest threat I feel that we're kind of facing is is censorship. I mean, it's not 
we call it the cancel culture, but it's censorship, and it should really be scaring every single one of us. I am the daughter of immigrants. Um, I was born in Santiago de Chile. My parents actually escaped communism um, when Allende was in power. Everybody had money. There was inflation like you couldn't believe. And I'm not making this up. My father used to have to go with a suitcase of money to go buy bread and sometimes the day before um, and wait in line to, you know, to get some bread. Um, that slowly, I feel like things like that are slowly happening here. I'll have conversations with my father. My father says, I can't believe that. I escaped Chile to kind of relive this all over again. And you're starting to see it little by little as they start silencing different people. They start shutting down different industries. They start targeting different um, manufacturers and things like that, as you see with Mike Lindell. Um, I just think that it's something that we really need a real leader to step up in the conservative arena, a real leader that's not afraid. And I think that that's what Trump and I, you had once um, asked, you didn't know what made Trump so popular. And me, being a Latina, being an immigrant, for me, what I think make Trump, makes Trump so great is that he makes you love your country. I never, ever loved my country the way he made me love my country. I'm from Queens. He's from Queens. I get the way he talks. I get Trump. The way they Daniel, uh, Daniela, I'm, I want to give you your own show. What a beautiful story. What a great reminder of what we have and we often take for granted. I hope as as Americans now see the 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 negativity that is associated with this phony agenda of socialism, that people like you like you will appreciate the freedoms that we kind of take for granted here story about your dad's unbelievable unbelievable for a loaf of bread i wish i had more time i'm on the i'm on a hard break here but daniela please call back i i would love to hear from you often okay 800-941-SEAN you want to be a part of the program right to the phones when we get back news roundup information overload hour coming up straight ahead too all right news roundup information overload hour glad you are with us we'll get to your calls at the bottom of this half hour you know do you ever think you'd live in an america live it in a time where Dr. Seuss is canceled, where Mr. and Mrs. Potato Head, that's what we're talking about, uh, that we'd have new inclusiveness guidelines that, that say we can't use the term mom and dad or suggest we don't, or not only can't say Merry Christmas, you can't even say Happy Holidays, and you can't even say, uh, hey, what'd you do on your vacation? Would you go anywhere? Normal conversation. You know, but it's it's not only that. Then it's Peter Pan and Dumbo on the chopping block. Pepe Le Pew is on the chopping block. And I'm sitting here thinking, wow, how did this happen? How did we get to this point? Juxtapose that with Piers Morgan having a government agency looking into his opinions that were expressed on television in Great Britain. Are we going to is that is that coming to a to America sometime soon? You know, this grace, church, school, you know, issue. Unbelievable. You look at where we are, where now people in red states that elect fiscally responsible governors, fiscally responsible state legislatures, they balance their budget, keep taxes low and fund their pensions. And now you got a 1.9 so-called COVID emergency relief bailout, of which only 9% is going to COVID emergency relief. A lot of the monies are spent in 
2024, even as late as 2028. And you find out that red states now will be bailing out states and rewarding states for electing big tax and spend failed liberal Democrats that have been running these states for decades. And then you add H.R. 1 on top of it. Felons will vote, automatic registration, massive mail-in balloting with zero identification requirements. Now you need identification to get into the Capitol if you ever go visit. If you ever go to a Democratic National Convention, not that I like going, but every four years I'm usually forced to go to do coverage surrounded by, yes, yeah, some some really strong guys that uh, look pretty mean and tough. Basically guys from my dojo. But that is Washington. That is the country now. That is This is in 51 days, Joe Biden's America. He's a new congressman. He's elected from the great state of Utah. He's been a friend of this program for a long time. Burgess Owens is with us. I don't know, Burgess. Maybe I'm old-fashioned. I don't have a problem saying mom and dad. I, I've I've been looking at, you know, what people find offensive in Dr. Seuss and, you know, uh, why pe- why would people be offended by happy holidays or what you do on your vacation? I don't get that either. I, I've watched Dumbo. I like I, the Dumbo makes people cry. It's a good message about, you know, treat everybody nicely. I, that's my remembrance of it. I haven't watched it re- recently, so don't hold me to account here. Well, well Sean, you're, you're talking old school common sense. Uh, what our great, uh, that last great generation taught us, you know, about love of God, country, family, respect to women and authority. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting process. I think the, 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 the positives coming out of this, is that you know we've been talking about the the evil of Marxism, socialism for a long, long time. You know the the the, the misery has brought you know, wherever it's been wherever it's been tried, the the murder of over a hundred million people this last uh, last century, and it's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to actually experience it. And so we're having a time now that I think is really at the end of the day is going to be a good thing for America. We need to see contrast every now and then. And what we see, because we are a country that always drifts toward the light. We love freedom. We, we, we kind of get into this bubble of raising our family, uh, you know, going on our vacations, getting our retirement. And we sometimes forget there's evil at our doorstep every single second. And that evil is the, the godless ideology of Marxism and socialism. So now all of a sudden we're having these conversations that we never thought we'd ever have. Who would ever thought, Sean, think about this, we cannot open our business, can't put our kids in school, can't go to church. Never would we ever thought this could have happened. Well, it's happened to us, and because it is, we're having conversations we never would have had before. So the, 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 the difference is this. We now can see what the, the left looks like. It's dark, it's angry, and it's a place that, that America will never, ever go on purpose. And uh, the other side of it is is we dream, we overcome, we, we risk, we fail, we get back up again. We believe that men should do what men do, protect, provide, sacrifice anything for their wife and their family. Well, pretty, and you know, they, the they, guys like us, they're going to start calling, you know, Fred Flintstone, I guess. Yeah, and let them do that. That's okay. Wait a minute. Can I be uh, Bam Bam and you can be Fred Flintstone? Can, you, can we switch? Ro- well, probably they're going to cancel the Flintstones. I don't know. There's yeah. probably something well, wrong in there somewhere. Maybe it's abusive toward, abuse towards dinosaurs. I don't know. Dino the dinosaur. Yeah, well, the, the deal is is that uh, when you when you care about those priorities I just talked about, who cares what they call us? I mean, seriously, uh, and that's that's the that's the thing that that our country can get back to. I think coming out of this, we're going to have more conversations with good people, Democrats and Republicans, Independents who love our country, and we can finally say for once, you know what, guys, we might disagree on how we get there. We have the same end game, but the most important thing is we we do not want 
to be overcome by this evil ideology that hates all of us, that hates our culture, and it's been after us for, for forever. We're just now finally seeing what's happening because we had a president who said, you know what, we're not going to put up with it. America first. We love our country, flag, country, family, all that stuff. And, uh, and I, I love the fact that we have so many, I, I listened to your last caller, um, it, 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 it makes us feel good to know that we are part of a culture that's done so well. So we're going we're gonna to see what we're going to see what they're trying to go after. They're going to try to they're going to try to change our history, of course, because we have such a great history of what we've done together. And uh, this new in 2022, we hang in there. We do what we have to do on the ground, grassroots. Don't wait. Don't don't wait for people in D.C. to do things. Get involved with your school system. Uh, get involved with, your, with your, your your local businesses, and let's make sure things. We the people are making the changes, putting the right people in place, and believe me, 2022 and 2024 will show up, and we'll get our country back and head back in the right direction. And know we were part of the process when it happened. I, I I am so happy. I've gotten to know you now in the last number of years. I'm so happy you're in Congress. I really am. I wish every Republican could just just express what you just simply expressed. I really do. Well, you know, I, 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 I bet you're like me. There's a great Paul Harvey. I should play it next week. I'll play it. You know, what he talks about American farmers. Yeah. Now, I, I know they, they don't get accolades and they, they don't get talked about. And, and maybe because you're a, a congressman and a former NFL player and I'm in the public eye, people, we kind of get accolades we really don't deserve, in my humble opinion. But anyway, that's neither here. We never, you think of every single thing that you see in your grocery store and you could pretty much trace most of it back to farmers. Yeah. And you trace, you know, I had a trucker call and I had a farmer call this program. Farmer was on his tractor. He called in. I was so honored he called. I had a truck driver call in. So honored he called. Because they feed all of us. And, yeah, I think oranges are a little overpriced at my grocery store. You get 10 big ones for 10 bucks. That's the, yeah. I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm old school. I'd rather have it for eight or seven, you know. But you think about it. Then they got this this farmers bill now farmers that were hurt through no fault of their own from covid they deserve help yeah congressman they really do i'm all for that but why are we saying okay if you're a minority you get more help than this other farmer why don't we do it on a per need basis and treat all our farmers with the with the with appreciation and respect for the hard work they do and all they do for all of us every day well, Sean, that's what racists do. And we have to understand this. Uh, and racists come in all colors, by the way. But whenever you judge people by the color of their skin and you prejudge them, you put them down, or you hate them, or you don't like that's what's called racism. And I don't care who it is. I learned this a long time ago. My mom taught me a great lesson. Don't say, Bergie, don't let somebody else's problem become yours. I learned a long time ago the worst thing you can be is a racist because you have to live with yourself. You're angry all the time. And I don't care. At this point, we have to, have to make sure American people don't think there's something cool about looking down on another race. Don't think something, there's something magnanimous by saying that I am, my color makes me so much more privileged than your, your color. That is what's called racism. And, and, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, that's not who we are. We're a country based on Judeo-Christian values, and because of that, every generation has gotten better at looking at each other, inside out versus outside in. We were doing such a great job until Obama came along, and now we have the hard left. My Democratic friends, beware of the hard left. They're not your friends. They're not my friends. They're, no, they're, they're, they're American friends. They want to divide us in every way they can because they, they love the fact that we hate each other. That's not America. So 
understand that uh, we, we, this contract is going to allow us to have some really good conversations. And I think the biggest thing going to come out of it is now we don't have to to wonder anymore, hypothetically, what Marxism and socialism looks like. We can say in real term, in real time, this is how it feels. I want nothing to do with it. I want to go back to freedom. And this is the thing I think coming out of our new unsung heroes out of this process are going to be our small business owners. Those who get out there every single day, they get up early, they take risks, they fall flat in their face to get back. But, but up Burgess, again. I hate That's to I hate to burst your positive positivity bubble here. <laughs> when they get whacked with higher taxes and burdensome regulation, a lot of these guys, it's not it's not possible for them to to do exactly what they are great at doing. It's going to make everything harder, if not it's impossible. Be, Sean, it's going to be harder, but. But Americans, we come back, and it might not be the way we wanted to have it happen. It might not be as easy. Listen, I never, ever, ever wanted to be a chimney sweep after being an NFL player, but it was the greatest thing that happened because of the lessons I learned and the things I can now tell people. Whoa, tell, tell people. To say it. that. You say that a little more slowly. Okay. When I, when I left the NFL after running a business, I failed big time. And for a few months, I was a chimney sweep and a security guard. And I, it was one of the most miserable times in terms of humbleness. <laughs> Never wanted to be there. But guess what? I look back on it now, and I can tell anyone who comes to this country, who lives through, lives through obstacles, if I can do it, you can do it. That's the American way. So, yes, we, uh, we, we have a lot of business owners out there that are going to tell you. Now, so after you won the Super Bowl, you were sweeping clean chimneys? That's right. That's right. In New York City? I, I, no way. <laughs> So no, yeah. let me ask you: Did did you? I, I'm not trying to be nosy. You can no, only yeah. share what you want. Um, we hear the term "broke athlete" a lot. Yes. Now, yeah. the average NFL career for somebody's three, three and a, it's actually three and a half years. Mm-hmm. You had a longer career than that. I would assume you you made quite a bit of this, money. What this happened? What happened? Well, this is what happens when you leave uh, the NFL as a cocky liberal, and you think all you have to do is throw money at it and work real hard. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what happens. But here's the thing. Uh, it was because of the way I was raised, I was taught, you do anything, a man will do anything they have to do that's honest and hard to take care of his family. And at that time, we didn't have Uber. I wish we did. I could have done that in a heartbeat. But the only wow. thing I could find was a, was a chimney sweep. And I did it. Uh, I came out of it. I ended up for the next 25 years being a, 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 a corporate account and corporate account executive. So I, I came out of it. But the most of the things were the lesson that I learned during that time. And I remember thinking, this is going to be for your good. Living in a four bedroom and in a one bedroom apartment in Brooklyn, New York, gunfire outside, and I and four kids, and I said, at some point, this is going to be for my good, and it did. I can now talk to anyone about this country. It's a place of second chances. Period. So for those business owners out there, I know it's tough. Hang in there. This country will give you a chance to bounce back and be stronger and better. And the message you'll give to the rest of our country. Is, is what we need to hear now. At the end of the day, our small business owners with the entrepreneurial spirit will bring our country back and give us even a better foundation moving forward about what, what to fight against when it comes down to this, this socialist and, and Marxist anti-capitalist uh, ideology. What an inspiring story. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. All right, as we continue, Congressman Burgess Owens, the great state of Utah. So I've recently did some renovation work at my house and uh and i hired these guys that were hanging wallpaper right yeah. i did that for years i made good money on it I was a house painter wallpaper i learned how to lay tile i did renovation work construction i mean i did that for almost 10 years of my life and i walk i'm talking to these guys for like an hour today yeah. and i think they were kind of shocked that i said yeah i had the exact same table this is how i did this this is and this and we started talking about it and I said, that's actually how I got into radio. I was doing construction, and I had call on the radio shows. And then I realized, well, 
if this idiot who I don't think is very good can do it, let me try it. That's what happened. Yeah. Can I say this real quick? Because uh, the first time I had a chance to tell this story was, uh, was two or three years after I called in a Rush Limbaugh. And uh, Rush really kind of resonated to that, and he made a statement. This is what I think we were connected. Uh, I, said, I said, Rush, at the end of the day, the black issue will be handled by black Americans who dig in and just tell the story about history and what we can do in, this, in our future. It's going to be up to us. Of course, we're going to have all of Americans helping us, but at the end of the day, we have to give the message. And, and I think that was what, what resonated. At that point, I said, I'm going to write a book, and that book allowed me to get on Fox, and all of a sudden, all the things I'm doing now started again from a conversation with Rush that allowed me to say, at one point, I'm going to tell this story, and, and tell that story 20 years plus years, years later, allowed me to now have a position where I can really make a difference in a different way. What a what a, what a voice that we lost. Yeah. Just a, I, yeah. I still am in a state of shock to be honest about it. Yeah. And and I can't imagine with with all that's going on in the world right now not hearing his voice but what a great story that you're telling. Well, and that well, and by the way the person you're describing that is that always believed in that was Rush. That's right. Always. That's right. And I would actually, in my, in my, at uh, that time, I was a, a working word perfect. I would set my appointments up so that I was on the road listening to Rush on the radio because I was a yeah. new conservative and I wanted to hear the voice. And I wish I, I, I wish I had more time to delve into this with you, but I got to roll. Um, you're a good man. God bless Thank you, you Burgess Owens. I'm so glad you're there, and we need all of Congress to be like you. Honestly, Thank you, my friend, I appreciate it. Oh, uh, by the way, call my friend Herschel Walker. Say, run, Herschel, run. I want him to run for Senate. <laughs> All right. We'll do, buddy. All, the best. All right, my friend. God bless you. Quick break. Right back. Time to the top of the hour. We'll get to your calls here in just a second. Listen, I warned you about all that the Democrats were planning. What did I say? Yeah, live free or die, America and the world on the brink. It's now we're at the on the brink point. The $1.9 trillion bailout, blue state bailout. Uh, I mean, the amount of money we are talking about, how little is actually going for COVID emergency uh, relief is unconscionable. And, of course, they're investigating the whole idea of stacking the courts with liberal activist justices, as we said. Yes. And they're also examining statehood for D.C. and Puerto Rico. Yes. Higher taxes are all coming. They even snuck in about 60 billion in tax hikes in the so-called called emergency uh, bill on COVID. Um, and it goes on and on and on, and it's only the beginning. Remember, they want another $2 trillion now for the Green New Deal. Is it only a down payment? Now, this week, they set their sights on your Second Amendment rights. Congressman Chip Roy from uh, the great state of Texas says, no, you know, I'm not giving you a list of what my, what my guns are. You know, I mean, the, the 94 assault weapons ban, it didn't apply to, to, to weapons that were purchased before 1994. Right. What would you do about the millions of specifically assault weapons right. that are already in circulation? What do you do about those? Well, there are approximately five million to your point, Craig. We have to have a buyback program and I support a mandatory buyback program. It's got to be smart. We got to do it the right way. Um, but there are five million at least, some estimate as many as 10 million. And we're going to have to have smart public policy that's about taking those off the streets, but doing it in the right way. To gun owners out there who say, well, a Biden administration means they're going to come for my guns. Bingo. You're right if you have an assault weapon. The fact of the matter is they should be illegal, period. The government is never going to know what weapons I own. Let me be clear about that. It's not going to happen. All right, Congressman Chip Roy, Texas, joins us now. This is a very real effort 
This is a real push. Now you've got Chucky Schumer promising a vote on what is an anti-Second Amendment bill from the House, um, which is not good. And uh, I am very concerned, and I'm not sure why 10 Republicans went along with this crap. Well, Sean, yeah, I mean, I'm 100% agreement with you, and it really is a, a problem. This is what Democrats are purposely trying to do. Uh, they're trying to use this idea of, quote, universal background checks to jam through a gun registry. And as you noted on the floor of the House, I took issue with this. And look, Sean, I'm a former federal prosecutor. I've put a lot of bad guys in jail, bad guys who deserve to be in jail. Neither you nor I nor anybody else I know who are pro-Second Amendment want bad guys running around with guns. But what we do want is for American, cities to, American citizens to be able to defend themselves. And Democrats right now are opening the border wide, allowing cartels to run amok, endangering Texans, endangering Americans, endangering the immigrants who want to come here. Meanwhile, defunding the police department, taking away every way we can to have safe communities. And then they want to give us a lecture about what they're going to do with our guns. Oh, we're not taking your gun. Bull. We know what they're trying to do. They want this this, uh, universal background check to create a registry so they can track our weapons and ultimately be able to tell us which ones we can keep and which ones we can't. So I made pretty clear on the floor of the House of Representatives, we're not going to play that game. And you're right, 10 Republicans should be ashamed of themselves for supporting this uh, legislation. And right now, every West Virginian ought to be burning the phones down of Joe Manchin's office telling him not to succumb to this. No West Virginian wants this, I assure you. My audience knows this. You may not know this, but my mom was a prison guard. My dad worked in family court probation, um, and I was the incorrigible, curious kid in the house. And because they didn't have like the fingerprint safe like I have next to my bed where nobody can get into my my weapons or that that particular weapon um, a pistol. I've been a pistol marksman since I'm 11 years old. Now, let me tell you how bad it is in New York. I have I have had to, on numerous occasions, literally either melt down or exchange or have modified weapons that I legally own because they changed the laws. When Governor Cuomo screaming, you know, nobody needs 10 bullets to kill a deer. He actually said that. It's simple. No one hunts with an assault rifle. No one needs 10 bullets to kill a deer. And they put it down to seven bullets in the magazine. I had to go through all my magazines, make sure there's only seven bullets in it, because you and I both know, Congressman, uh, Sean Hannity violates the law if he spits on the sidewalk or is caught jaywalking. Uh, that I'd go to jail probably in perpetuity. So I ha- I've had to do that because I do obey the laws, and there's no shot in hell I'm going to be able to to fix the laws in New York the way this state has gone so radically left. Now, you're completely right, and this is, at the end of the day, what uh, we've got to do at the state level is get states to be the ones collectively pushing back against a federal government that is stamping all over our individual rights, right? I mean, government exists to defend our rights. It's the whole point of the, of the Constitution, right? It's to defend our God-given rights, to secure the blessings of liberty, right? That's the language our founders used. We need to make our state stand on the line with us, and we as citizens have got to hold the line and basically just say no. And look, I, I realize this gets a little touchy. It gets a little tough. I'm a rule of law guy. So are you. But at the end of the day, God-given rights are what they are. And we need to be sending a loud signal message to Democrats that they don't get to trample our constitutional rights 
while we just wait around for some judge to tell us whether or not they're going to okay that. These are, in fact, God-given rights that the Constitution reflects. And importantly, it goes to the security of our community, Sean. Again, as Democrats are pulling away the very basic function of government to secure our border, wide open borders, 100,000 immigrants in February that were apprehended, 6,000 a day. That's not talking about the gotaways. Cartels, fentanyl coming across our border, uh, the endangered American citizens, the high-speed chases in counties that I represent, Sean, in Texas, mayors calling and begging for help because Biden is either purposely or incompetently ignoring his duty to actually uh, defend the Constitution. I find it ironic that Democrats went after Trump twice to impeach him when Biden is straight up ignoring his duty to take care that the laws of the United States are faithfully executed. You want to talk about impeachment? Impeach a president for failing to do his duty, for failing to uphold the Constitution, for failing to secure the border of the United States, and then daring to take away our God-given rights to defend ourselves when the government doesn't do its duty. It's absolutely shocking what we're seeing happen in this administration. I, I, I hope Americans hear you, because this is, this is a, a dire warning if you, like me and like you, if you believe in our Second Amendment rights. Uh, it sounds like they're going to want to have a, a, a registration of firearms. That, what's going to happen next? Then they're going to limit um, how many guns you can have. Yep. You know, um, I happen to have a pretty large collection myself. It's a collection. I like to collect things, right? But, but, and, but you lost it on that boating accident. Let's just be clear. Listen, I, I, was, I don't think you believe me. I've had to have weapons that became outlawed melted down. Do you understand how profound that is? I, because, if, I because you know it and I know it. If somebody came into my house, and I would be put in jail forever. I can't, I can't risk it. That's how. It, well, that, that's, that's what we're facing. We're facing the totalitarian, the, the tyrants who want to tell us how to live, and it's directly contrary to our founding. And you're right. They want to tax ammunition. They want to decrease the ability to get magazines. They want to increase liability and go after manufacturers of guns to make, hold them liable for what bad actors do. They want to be able to restrict your ability of what kind of weapon you can own. They want to define it. They want to say, oh, you can have a little 20 gauge single shot shotgun. Or a little twenty-two, but no, you can't have anything else. You and better not miss. For them to decide. <laughs> that's right. You know, right. And, and by the way, under any even professionals under real stress, real life circumstances can freeze, and you may think you're going to act a certain way, and you may not. But Congressman, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you for what you're doing. It's important work, and we hope you'll continue to be as outspoken as you are on this. Thank you. We will, Sean. God bless you. You keep doing what you're doing, too, my friend. All right, my friend. Thank you. Uh, the great state of Florida, a free state. Rod, thanks for checking in. How are you, sir? Yeah, uh, good afternoon, Sean. Greetings and salutations from the free state of Florida. I've been listening to you since the early days. Greetings and salutations. I love that phrase. Go ahead, sir. Uh, just wanted to, just a quick thought on the border there. I'm curious as to how the Democrats are going to play this, because right now the numbers are going down. And they're bringing in these illegal immigrants, and most of them have not been tested. However, the majority are children. So if the disease doesn't affect children the way it affects adults, are the Democrats going to backtrack and say, well, you know, we have a 98% uh, recovery rate for this, and it's not as bad as what was actually reported. So are they going to throw Fauci under the bus when they do this, or, or what? Uh, I don't know, but I do know this. 
Thank God Ron DeSantis was your governor. Ron DeSantis, look, very early on, remember people were mad last year, spring break. He's allowing spring breakers. Okay, there was one thing that actually the, the dopey, you know, experts got right. The ones that had the, the phony models and predictions and, you know, all of that. The one thing they got right was protect the elderly. That was the one thing that remained constant. You know, a week ago, a year ago this week, Fauci, that mask isn't going to help you. Uh, you know, at the same time, this time last year, Cuomo, I know I speak for the mayor on this. We're all New Yorkers. And I can say that we have the best health care system in the entire world. We're not like those other countries. That's him. And he was wrong. And Donald Trump bailed him out then, too. And he still sent these people to nursing homes. It's it's really sad that this is yeah. this is what we're dealing with. And when you think about forty two thousand nine hundred and eighteen votes and Donald Trump gets reelected, it's so infuriating at times when I stop and I pause and I think and and all that we know that happened that shouldn't happen, all the laws that were just not adhered to, all the state constitutions bypassed. You know, all of the COVID restrictions, you know, as an excuse, they didn't listen to Fauci who said it was safe to vote in person as long as you socially distance and wore a mask. It's it's very, very frustrating. But I will tell you, um, there's going to be a moment between now and November 2022. It's going to be I'll even give it a a a name. It probably won't be the name. It will be the Tea Party 2.0 on steroids and human growth hormone because the 75 million of us that went out to support America first, make America great again. um, And even those that are discouraged now, they're going to be back and their voices will be heard. And we will realize that we have a, a, an obligation, a patriotic duty to fight for the cause of Liberty, not physically fight, Politically, okay, for the the cause of liberty and freedom, because what they're doing is destroying our economy. What they're doing are they are taking away our fundamental basic rights. And Americans are only going to put up with so much of this radicalism. And there's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And this country is going to unite. I I promise you by Election Day 2022. You think I'm wrong, or yeah, you think and, I might be right? No, I think you're right. And just Governor DeSantis has done a phenomenal job. I mean, right now they're trying to target yes, him. Did. They're saying that he went went after uh, like specific neighborhoods for money and that kind of thing. But what people don't realize is that the neighborhoods that he's targeted have been the ones that have not gotten the uh, the vaccine, and he's not targeting money. He's targeting age. So, you know, that's what he's done the whole time. He mobilized every single Florida state agency, every one of them to protect the elderly. And it worked. Cuomo screwed it up. Murphy screwed it up. Wolf screwed it up. Newsom screwed it up. Shut down, you know, Governor Whitmer in in Michigan screwed it up. DeSantis got the rest. They were going to have to pay for it. Oh, yeah. You yeah. You have no ink state income tax. Your money's going straight <laughs> to New York, New Jersey and California, my friend. They're going to they're going to take it right oh, yeah. out of your pocket. 
and yep. it's not fair. And by the way, I will be the beneficiary beneficiary of it, and I'm telling you, it's not right. I don't even I don't want well, not, it. Uh, and by the way, uh, my taxes here. went up under Donald Trump because the state income tax deduction, which was unfair to people in red states that have fiscally responsible politicians, they don't have the need for that deduction like we did. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today. Yes, it looks like it may be the end for Andrew Cuomo. Greg Jarrett joins us tonight. Congressman Lee Zeldin, Stephen Miller, Matt Gates, Lara Logan, Dan Patrick, Matt Gates, and, and, and others. Everyone else. News you won't get from the media mob, I'll tell you that. All coming up tonight, set your DVR, 9 Eastern, Hannity, Fox News. We'll see you then. We'll be back here on Monday. Hope you have a great weekend. And as always, thank you for being with us.